Hello, everyone. Robert Walker here, along with Caleb Pierce, and we are Sheep Things Podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to get down to the basics with industry leaders, associations, breeders, owners, vets, suppliers, and anyone else we can find to hear their stories and firsthand experiences. Hopefully, we will ask the right questions to see what makes them successful, how they got started, and what they see for the future of the sheep industry. We hope to have something new weekly that we can share, so stay connected to our website, Facebook page, or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates as they are published. Stay tuned as we try to share our learning experience with you all as we dive into the sheep industry together. Good evening, guys. This is season two, episode six. Um, We've had a short break in the action uh, with a lot of traveling going on between me and Caleb. So uh, good to be back with you guys. And uh, we're continuing our conversation with Lynn Farmire from uh, Western Missouri. Uh, He's the current chairman of NSIP. And uh, today we're going to talk about uh, what NSIP is, uh, how to join, uh, how to benefit, how to use the traits within your flock, and just general conversations, uh, you know how we are. We kind of get sidetracked and and uh, just kind of talk on uh, topics as they come up. So uh, anyway, this is a great uh, just general purpose NSIP conversation with Lynn. And uh, we enjoyed it. Uh, had some great dialogue. So I hope you will too. Yeah, I'm thinking through this and this is going to bring us to another topic. So can we jump to number six on your list there, Caleb. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And then we'll come. I'll, and then I'll I'll remind me because I'm absent-minded enough. I'll forget. Uh, but let's circle back around to the, this topic after we talk about who can participate. Um, I I'm I believe that every purebred flock needs to consider enrolling in NSIP. And every commercial flock needs to make sure they do not enroll in NSIP, but buys breeding stock from purebred flocks that are in NSIP. So in other words, I tell commercial guys, you know, they say, well, I want to be an NSIP. And it's like, no, you don't. Um, You don't need to spend the, you don't need, the expense is hard to recover for a commercial guy. It's a lot of extra paperwork. Um, Commercial guys just need to go to their RAM or their use supplier and say, show me the numbers. And if you don't, if your purebred producer that you're buying from doesn't have estimated breeding values on their animals, walk away and go to somebody else that does. And that way, you know, you're buying animals that have been fitted toward your goals because every commercial producer probably has a little different set of goals. Uh, it depends on which market they're selling into. It depends on their climate. It depends on how their feeding system is. I mean, here in the Midwest, corn and soybean meal is cheap. Um, you know, if you can sell to a major packer or a restaurant, lambs that sell, you know, that weigh 140 pounds, uh, you probably want a different genetic base than someone down in the southeast or along the Pacific coast that has 
lots of grass, perhaps lots of parasites, but they're selling lambs at 60 pounds into the ethnic market. And so use the EBVs, use the numbers to, to kind of match the genetics to what you need in your flock. So then if the commercial producers are buying that, then the purebred producers are the ones that need to be enrolled at NSIP. Um, there, there is a cost uh, involved. Um, and, and we can get to that, but one of the things that is important for a flock that's in NSIP is this contemporary group that we've talked about. You really need to be using at least two rams. Your ewe flock probably needs to be at least 30, 25 to 30. Um, and so single sire mating, unless you want to do parentage testing, um, and, and a pretty tight window. That, that way, that'll give you the best data. Okay, so here's the point I wanted to make that kind of goes back to what Robert was asking, or what y'all were asking a little bit earlier. We want these contemporary groups to have two sires siring the lambs. Um, we need to have about 15 or so lambs per sire. So that we have enough to anyway it the math just works out very well that way and that and that works for the weight traits okay so now let's start thinking about females and again we're getting down probably closer to five thousand feet instead of thirty thousand feet here but um if you're only saving one or two ewe lambs you're not saving enough ewe lambs i think nsip needs once we <laughs> We've got a lot on our plate right now, but this is something else that needs to be added to the plate. We need to come up with some guidance, I think, to help producers understand that you need to save your ewe lambs in bunches. I think if, if you've got a small flock, it would be better saving ewe lambs every other year than saving a few every year. Yeah. Say, you know, I, I I don't have I don't have the answer because there's always pros and cons to anything that I, I say. But so, you know, back to your question about, um, you know, because actually the lamb the ewes are analyzed in contemporary groups in addition to the you know. The, we think of this contemporary group that lambs are born into, but then the ewes for the maternal traits are analyzed based upon when they were born. So if you only save two or three ewe lambs every year, <coughs> you've got a contemporary group of two instead of 15. So, and, so uh, you need to explain that the, the contemporary group follows that ewe group through life. It does. Yeah, that, that's an important uh, piece of information that people don't think about. And it's most people, that, most people think that the contemporary group falls apart, uh, I guess, at weaning or whenever, you know. Yeah, and it doesn't. It follows those animals for life. And so, 
um, it, it's, it is hard. I mean, it, it, it's tough. And um, so I say, yeah, we need to save more ewe lambs. Well, you can do that by shortening your generation interval. You won't be you won't be looking at udders at eight years old because you've already sold a lot of the ewes. Um, but I think some of the, we, I mean, not to be negative, but the maternal EBVs can bounce around more than I think some of us are comfortable with, but it's totally because of this issue of we're saving two or three ewe lambs per year instead of saving saving them in bunches. I'm not going to put a number on it because, I mean, everyone's got a different size flock. But it, it's, I think it's an issue that the, so the, again, this is something that commercial people don't have to worry about. It, it's something that the purebred flocks have to struggle with so that we can provide the commercial flocks with the best information we can provide. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Which means that unless you have a lot of views, genetic diversity is actually not a good thing. <laughs> genetic <laughs> diversity is actually a negative thing. You want your flock to be relatively similar, or at least maybe two bunches of similar ewes if you have a small yeah. flock um, to then be able to compare it against each other. Um, whereas if you have one ewe out of 30 different rams, that doesn't really tell you much. Yeah, good analogy, good analogy. Um, and that's where it would be nice if we had, you know, AI would be great if we could, mm -hmm. instead of having one RAM turned out with 30 U's, um, you know, I'm using basically five RAMs uh, on my 150 U flock. Um, I'm, my older RAMs could probably handle 50. Um, my younger ones probably can't. Um, but boy, if I could, if I could breed, you know, 60, you know, if I could cut that down to just three rams by using AI, it would be huge. I, I mean, my accuracies for all traits would just shoot through the roof. But um, AI is tough <laughs> with sheep. It's easy for cattle, but it's tough on sheep. Um, and so briefly, um, I think for the purebred people that are listening, yeah, there's a cost. And actually, I mean, I think the commercial people need to understand there's a cost for the breeders that are doing collecting all this data. Uh, there's time, there's sweat. Uh, if you're sending off uh, fecal samples, there's a cost. If you're scanning, there's a cost for the scanner to come in. Um, so, you know, hopefully by providing this data to the commercial guys, the commercial guys see a value. I would also argue that I am using the data myself. So I think I am making faster genetic progress within my own flock uh, than I could be if I was doing it without the numbers. So I, I think I'm getting a benefit, but I'm hoping that my commercial producers see a benefit and are willing to pay for it as well. But the cost is um, there's an annual fee to belong to NSIP uh, it's $100 plus $2.50 per U. And so my 150 U's, I take 150 times uh, $2.50 and add $100, and, and that's what I pay for my flock fee. And that money stays in the United States. 
and um, it's capped at $500. Um, so really large flocks, um, we did that to make sure we didn't drive away the large flocks. Um, but then there's also a data processing fee and that's $350 per lamb. And that's, um, that's, that gets the lamb in the system for life. Um, it's not $3.50 per lamb every year. It's $3.50 per lamb the first time you submit lamb weight data. Um, it does not, you do not pay the $3.50 on dead lambs because you need to put the dead lambs in the system for the maternal traits on the use. Um, so it does not, uh, we're, we're not charging you for dead lambs. But uh, that money all goes to Australia because that's the processing fee that, I mean, it's just basically a roll through uh, account. Right now, um, actually NSIP, I mean, just being transparent here, NSIP is actually making 25 cents or 30 cents per you, um, per lamb. Um, but our, the goal is, is that in a couple years, we'll be losing that much money. So over time, it's going to balance out. Australia changes our rate on an annual basis. We, uh, the, the actual fees that Australia charges NSIP changes every year. It goes up about 3% a year. And then it also changes with the currency exchange rate because we actually pay Australia in Australia dollars, not in uh, American dollars. And so right now, NSIP is actually building up a little bit of a fund, not much. <laughs> um, and in a couple of years, um, we'll probably use that fund up and then we'll have to raise our fees again. But the goal is, is to only raise fees maybe every four or five years and not have it change anything. So just being transparent. Um, but so, the, so there is a cost, but personally, I think um, I'm making enough genetic progress on several traits that it's paying for me. Uh, I think I can charge a little bit more for the seed stock that I sell because I can fit the animal to the what the producer needs and uh, and i think Absolutely. they're getting better genetics because you know, i only sell the top 10 percent of my my rams mm -hmm. and it's not the 10 percent that looks the best I'll, I'll guarantee you that i mean there i i sell some really nice looking rams that um probably would be the first ones picked out of my keeper pin uh, if we were picking on just visual appraisal and they, they just don't have enough, they have the growth numbers, but they don't have the parasite numbers. They don't have the maternal numbers. They don't have, um, the eye muscle depth numbers. Uh, Robert, he came out one day while we were scanning and, um, I think he saw the same thing. You, I am convinced that no one can look at sheep and figure out which ones are muscled the best, which or which ones have the most fat, or which ones have the most hair. <laughs> Even on because we're we we scan about the middle of June, and the depth 
thickness mm. of the hair. The variation between lambs ranges from an eighth of an inch to three quarters of an inch. And these are 120 day old lambs, mm -hmm. middle of June. And there, there can be, I mean, literally an eighth of an inch to three quarters of an inch uh, variation in hair coat depth. Yeah. And if you're not clipping a spot, I mean, we have to, people may not understand it, with hair, she, you have to clip to the skin. You almost have to shave to the skin to get an uh, accurate scan because the hair follicles on hair sheep are hollow. They have air in it. And so the ultrasound uh, waves don't go through hair. And um, so we're clipping a small spot where we're scanning. And um, I, I was there when we first started eight years ago, Man, there this really nice ram ran into there, and I said, "Boy, here's a nice one." And the scanner just shook his head and said, "Nope, it's just bad." Here comes another one, you know. Boy, yeah, Dallas, this is really a nice ram. No, it's just bad. <laughs> and then he said, "Hey, Lynn, why don't you like this one?" And I said, "Well, I mean, he looks okay, but it's just kind of average looking." He says, "This so this one's got the most muscle of anything I've scanned so far today." just <laughs> it's just yeah, that was a dallas it's humbling so, it's humbling yeah so the day i was there uh was dallas was there at, during sedalia and i don't know y'all probably did 200 lambs that day yeah. and uh and and he was doing me that way what do you think what do you think and you can't <laughs> guess i mean it's you're just wasting your time and of course he was loving it because he knew you know i was cocky and thought i could pick you know you can't, <laughs> you can't do it <laughs> uh, the, so the other so i thought lynn was going there i think the first time i come out to look at lambs i was looking for some rams and I, so i told lynn kind of what i was looking for and he had me a pen of i don't know maybe 10 or 12 rams that he picked that fit what i told him i was looking for and uh so so he we walk out there and 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 while we're looking he goes let me go back in to get my data so he goes back in the house and there's this one ram lamb that's following me around like a puppy dog. And that, that is my, that's a no, no for me. Yeah. And, uh, that just drives me nuts. So he comes back out and I'm like, get that son of a gun out of here. And he's like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I don't care. You know, of course I tell Caleb all the time, we, we'll be talking about something. I'm like, I don't care if it's 175 index, I ain't putting up with it. And, uh, so, so we, we called that one, and then there was two more uh, smaller lambs, a little younger lambs, that, that had a lot of black in them. And I called them. I'm like, and he goes, man, those those, those got some really high numbers. And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I and see, that's the opposite of what Steve Bull and um, Carl Jenap did years ago. They came down and Jim Morgan had convinced them just to pick on the, just pick blindly on the index. <laughs> and they said, which one's got the highest index? And I said, this one right here. And they both took a really deep breath. And said, <laughs> I don't want that one. And we talked and they looked and they said, okay, we're either going to be honest with the system or we're 
going to throw the system out. And they bought the one they did not want. And um, that was the son of Chip, which y'all are y'all haven't been in the Katahdin breed long enough to know who Chip was. But uh, he was actually a ram born. It, it's actually a, a, a story of maybe convincing me why to do this. Um, he was born in 2001, the first year um, I submitted data. He was not an impressive looking ram. He was red. As a yearling, he didn't shed great. He shed enough to be an A coat probably. <laughs> um, but um, I don't even know why he stayed around on the farm, actually. He, he, sh he was supposed to have been sold several times and for some reason he was just never on the trailer and so it was like well i'm going to use them and so this and okay back in 2001 just to tell the war story here we would submit data on excel spreadsheet in august or september and we'd get the results back in december or january I mean, oftentimes we'd have lambs on the ground for the next year before we got the results from the first year. And um, everything was being done at Virginia. I mean, we were just happy to get the results back a year late. Mm -hmm. uh, and so anyway, he ended up accidentally staying on the farm longer than he should have. Or I intended him to. And actually, he kind of became my son's kind of favorite ram. He was really gentle. And... Um, I got this call from Jim Morgan saying, I hope you haven't sold that ram. I said, no. Actually, he should have been, but he <laughs> He says, you won't believe how high his maternal weaning weight, weight is. And it and to this day, if you go back and look, y'all can look it up. It, it, he was number 16 in 2001. Okay, I've uh, seen him in the database. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he still has a fairly. Uh, he's not the he's not the top one anymore. But um, well, gosh, that's been twenty years ago now. We hopefully the breeds improved a little bit. But Doctor Nodder caught how high he was on his maternal weaning weight or milk, we called it at the time, and he was used all over the Midwest. Jim used them, David Copeland used them, uh, Ingram's used them. And then his sons were sold all over the United States. And and even, you know, he stayed high. I mean, he just, he wasn't a good looking ram, but he was prepotent, especially on maternal weaning weight. His daughters milked like dairy cows. <laughs> but so that proved to me, I mean, here was a, you know, I would have never caught that. But by the time he stayed around the farm by accident long enough that even with that old system, his we were getting data from his daughters to show how much he, he passed on that milk trait. Um mm -hmm. And then once we figured out what we had, he was used a lot. And again, he wasn't perfect. Um, there was a lot of sons and daughters that kept, uh, it wasn't wool necessarily, it was hair that 
matted on their shoulders, above their shoulders. It belted together. Hmm. Um, it just, their hair follicles, because the hair follicles release the old winter coat really late after the new spring coat had already grown into it. Um, but, um, so anyway, that was kind of my proof that NSIP works. You need to trust the numbers. Um, and thank goodness now we can get numbers twice a month. You know, we get updated runs twice a month. Back then it was, uh, it was 18 months late. <laughs> we were just thankful to have something. We're thankful for Dr. Nodder for, I'm not too sure how, you know, he's another one that needs to be an honorary. Well, we've actually honored, we didn't give them an honorary membership, but Dr. Parker and Dr. Nodder were both instrumental in so many ways in helping the Katahdin breed, but we have yeah. honored them in the past and, and rightfully so. Yeah, so we, along those lines, we have this question that we ask most of our guests, and there's a, it's a, it, always the guest is the tiebreaker for that episode. Um, do you select with your data first, or do you select with your looks first? Because data, data. <laughs> Robert and I uh, go back and forth on this uh, all day long, and uh... <laughs> well, you know, Parker, I... you made the comment that you know, just like finding one that has uh, both traits that you like. Yeah. You got 10,000 rounds to choose from. Surely there's one that's got data and looks. <laughs> yeah, but I don't have 10,000 lambs to choose from. So I take the, I cut by data first. And then I, I, I cut by what I'm, except what's acceptable. So in other words, I'm choosing my best data and choosing the phenotypic or the, the, the things I look at visually by what I accept. Uh, if I did it the other way, I at least personally would have a tendency to pick the best looking, and then I would probably lose a lot of really good genetics. Mm -hmm. So uh, I pick the best genetics, and then I pick the looks based upon what I'm what's acceptable. Maybe not what's best. Well, except for pastures. Um, I, I'm, I, I, I select pretty hard because I've had some trouble in the past with pastures being weak. Mm -hmm. It tends to show up about two generations later is a problem. It's mm -hmm. not, it's not always caused by the, by the first ram. It's, it's, or it's, it's caused by the first ram, but you don't see it until the daughters are bred to the next wrong um so i i'm i'm selecting for feet uh pretty and and it's not necessarily feet it's pastor i want i want those pastors to be correct mm -hmm. so um Kit, we haven't talked about this but uh bef before we got off on anything else could we do we need to touch on heritability of these traits you know it's in the it's in the it's in it's actually in the calculations so um and, and it also shows up in um the accuracies uh, we talked about accuracies a little bit um the more highly heritable the trait uh the more accurate it's going to naturally be with the same amount of data um 
So the white traits are more highly heritable than the maternal traits. Um, so that it's built into the EBV, but it's also built into the accuracy. And um, so it's easier to prove um, the weights uh, than it is the maternal traits um, simply because of that heritability. But that shows up in the accuracy, um, but it's also, it's also factored into the EBV, so you don't have to do any additional calculations. And I guess yeah, I one guess, thing... I guess what I was talking about is how, you know, people... Uh, don't need to sacrifice maternal traits for another trait that's just really hot, like like growth or something, because you can get the growth quicker than you can get the maternal back if you lose it. I would agree with that. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's right. Yeah. So I don't I don't know how many people actually realize uh, how how much heritability each trait is you know percentage wise you know um well i think just you know on a on a range your maternal traits are the least heritable so yes those are the ones you want to fight for the most um your weight traits are kind of in the middle and your carcass traits are the highest and fecal aid count is kind of a carcass type of range i mean it's it's up there. So, um, and when you say carcass traits, are you just talking muscle depth or are you talking looks too? No, muscle. Okay. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Robert and I had this discussion where we're like, well, is it, you know, if you get an ugly sheep, can you fix an ugly sheep? Make it, can you make an ugly sheep look better than you can, or look better faster than you can take an unproductive, good looking sheep and make it productive? I mean, not. The sheep itself, but yeah, right. by breeding. <laughs> Robert raises horses. We have to remember that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and the horse people, you know, I, I've made this comment before to my nephew. If the horse people kept up with actual maternal maternal traits and performance uh, versus ribbons and scores. Uh, it'd be a different horse out there today. That's for sure. <laughs> you know, another, you know, if we want to talk about how to implement this, we've kind of said this before, but just cold the bottom. <laughs> you can make um, your biggest I, I mean, change. Right okay. Even a commercial flock, you, you don't have to have numbers to call in a commercial flock. If they don't produce a lamb, sell it. <laughs> I mean, why are you feeding a you for whatever, what, 17 months? <laughs> you know, to not to try to get another lamb. Just call. If they don't bring home, if, if they're not weaning a lamb, for whatever reason, just call. And yeah, I think that's the next thing. Uh, uh, you know, we have a cost share deal, deal here in Tennessee, and I've about run out of stuff to buy, to be honest. And uh, so I got my Missouri. <laughs> I got my <laughs> approval uh, letter today, and I I think an ultrasound uh, for pre a pregnancy scanning of some sort is my next deal because, like you said, uh, you know, 
if if you want to improve your maternal traits, even even like me, where I'm I'm wanting my lambs to breed at seven or eight months. If they won't breed at seven or eight months, and I get rid of them, that's a pretty quick improvement there too. You know, oh, I could wait till she's a year old, but now I just that's a band aid. You know, um, I think versus making actual genetic progress, and and I don't care if it was, you know something caused her not to breed. I, I don't know. More than likely, it was something individually about her. So just if I can, if I can scan that you at nine months, you know, and, and go ahead and be done, you know, um, I think and, that I would, mean, you know, and sometimes bad, really good use have bad luck. Absolutely. But <laughs> on average, on on average, yeah, there's a problem, so just get rid of it. Yeah, yeah. And if, and so okay, so you're you're breeding at seven or eight. You're scanning at nine or ten months of age. Um, it's still a lamb. You're still, still get, you know, that's good value. You yep. let it get over a year, and it's going to really be discounted. Yep. The yep. price per pound will go to half. Yeah, it will. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's my thoughts on that, and uh, you know, just a matter of doing it. Yeah. I don't know how late y'all want to stay up. Um, <laughs> if we want to talk about genomics a little bit or anything else, I guess. Sure. Yeah, yeah we, that, whatever you guys wanted. We've done this for multiple hours. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for. Um, Five. I'm looking through. Did we cover everything in five? Have we? Did we talk was, about how to apply five. certain um, traits to certain operations? Do we? Do we talk about that? Oh yeah. Okay. We've touched. You know, we kind of touched on it, but probably. I hate to give. There's a lot of different opinions. Um, again, mm -hmm. whether or not you. I mean. Pushing milk on a forage-based system, is that good? I, I mean, I've got some I've got some reservations, but I think most of the forage uh, pasture-based flocks are pushing milk. Um, and, and that's, I'm not saying they're wrong. I'm just saying, you know, I think it's something we need just, it's good to discuss. Uh, okay, yeah. so, so I'm that guy and, yeah. and I push heavy milk traits because i i know that some of them well actually it's, it's free gain i feel like but it also i know i'm going to have to sacrifice that trait on a future ram for some other traits so i don't want that to get too low because i think that'll be hard for me to get back I agree it's hard to get back. I would argue that's not free game. Hmm. Um, there's an inefficiency from the used point of view from eating grass. It takes, she eats so many calories of grass to make X minus some number of calories of milk. And so... 
um, milk is an expensive energy trait in any species. Um, and so, um, again, if we're, if we're looking at total energy consumption of the ewe in her lifetime or within a production cycle, um, milk is an expensive trait. Now, having said that, um, how fast is that lamb beginning to eat grass? And how fast is that grass actually providing nutrients to the lamb? I think that's what we, I'm, I'm not too sure I have my head totally wrapped around that. Mm -hmm. um, there's some pretty good research though in cattle that says that a cow that has high milk production, even when she's dry, has a higher maintenance cost per pound than a cow that has lower milk production when she's yeah. lactating. So it's there's something about the it, it I'm simplifying this probably way too much, but at least cows that milk really heavy have just a higher basal metabolism, even when they're not milking, than cows that produce less milk. Mm. So if we, again, it, I mean, again, and in, in, in a lot of flocks, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> but if you're running 500 head in the Ozarks, and, you know, is it three use per acre or four use per acre? Some of these issues make a difference. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but I think definitely, you know, I think I've said this already. If if I'm selling light lambs into the ethnic market, um, probably maintenance cost of the U is more important than whether or not I sell that lamb at 60 days or 65 days. And so smaller ewes are good. <laughs> if you're selling to restaurants or the farmer's market or to a major packer, you probably want bigger ewes because then um, there's about the value of that larger lamb makes up for some of the inefficiencies of the larger ewe. So, so to relate that to milk, then theoretically, the ewes that are going where you're going to see the I guess the most impact of having a higher milk EBV um, where you're seeing a larger maintenance cost is going to be higher with ewes that are larger than. So for example, a ewe with a high metabolism that's a smaller ewe is going to end up eating less and having less of an impact having a higher metabolism than a larger ewe, theoretically. Right? Or is that? Yeah, no, I, I, I think the rate of metabolism, you have to compare ewes of equal size. Mm -hmm. So ewes of equal size, the one that milks the heaviest will have a higher basal metabolism. So she'll eat more than the same size ewe that milks less. Now, if you have, I guess you could have large ewes that milk 
that have a low maternal weaning weight EBV. And they would be, they'd have a similar basal metabolism than a smaller ewe that had a higher maternal weaning weight EBV. Mm -hmm. But if you are, if somebody is going to push milk to try to get their lambs to grow, they'd be better off getting smaller ewes if they're yeah, going to push more, yeah. push milk. Then. So. <laughs> All a balancing game, I guess. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. And I think maybe something else that we, <coughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, I think someone made a graph one time and it's not linear. Every time you select for a trait, it's like an exponential reduction in the gain of everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. You can't, you know, if you select for just one trait, you can make a tremendous amount of gain. Conversely, if you don't select for a trait, you could go backwards really fast as well. Mm -hmm. um, which I think when I had broken focus, I think sometimes I chased one trait and I didn't pay attention to another trait that, I, that went back faster. And I thought, you know, I was like, okay, I've got this trait where I want it and I'm going to concentrate on this trait. You know, trait A is where I want it. I want to concentrate on trait B. Well, I just totally forgot about trait A and it went backwards. And yeah. so um, I think think you know we, we use the term we want a balanced package mm -hmm. i've always probably for the wrong reason I, I don't like the term balance but yet it's a good term i think to use here um you 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 just don't want an extreme animal in any one trait mm -hmm. and um so yeah just you know but I will. I, I met. I probably should have done. I should have gotten on the searchable database before we got started tonight. I think if you put in, if you search for an animal that is a at or above the fiftieth percentile for every trait, there's not one. Hmm. So, um, and I, it's probably possible that even in the Angus Association, with so many animals that there are going to be a handful. Um, so there's always going to be probably one trait that's just, you don't like. And so you're always working on that within any animal, but, uh, or with any group of animals. But, um, so yeah, you, you, I think the goal is, is especially for seed stock producers, you want animals that are good in as many traits as you can. I'm going to do this search or bust. So I figured you would. <laughs> that is a great, uh, cause I have searched on some similar, like five or six traits that I'm looking for and, and only narrowing it down to that. I, I've only come up with like five or six rams yeah. and you had one of them and I got the grandsire and the sire to the other four or five. Yeah. I mean, it was a very small group just for one, you know, I had maybe four or five traits. So yeah. Yeah. I'd be curious on, I bet there's not any, like you said, on if you picked them all. So while we're on the topic, um, maybe if you wouldn't mind sharing, and it's obviously going to change dramatically from system to system and person to person, but what do you like to look for in your flock? 
uh, what are the traits that you kind of like, what's your order of selection um, now? Like how do you, like when you sort your data and, and you go through, do you select on index first? How do you, what does your selection process look like? Um, yeah, I'm sorting probably on the self-replacing carcass index first. Okay. Um, and um, that, I mean, cause that, again, it's, it's probably weighted more towards growth than I would like, but it still has a heavy weighting for number of lambs. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to lose maternal traits. Um, you know, I, I think I'm at a point right now that I need probably to work more on culling the body. I've got some ewes that have positive fecal egg count, EBVs. And they just need to go. I mean, I, I've kept them around because they're really good at one or two other traits. Mm -hmm. um, I think I'm personally at a point now where every you on my in my flock needs to be negative for fecal egg count. Um, weight um, again, I have to be a little careful. I don't want that to get out of control. I'm not. I, I don't want to map. I definitely don't want to maximize any of the weight traits. Mm -hmm. um, I just want them to be good. I don't. Mm -hmm. um, it, I think I've got room to grow or improve on uh, muscling. Um, I've got room to improve on fecal egg count. I mean, I I've got one ram. One of my herd sires is really nice for everything but fecal egg. I mean, mm -hmm. he's a complete package except for that yeah um you know i'm i'm trying to find a son um i, I keep bringing him to some ewes that have really good fecal egg counts and um i just haven't gotten the right son yet that just i'm in, i'm impressed with but if i could get a son out of him that was pretty tall you know had pretty good resistance i i think i'd really have something so. yeah but it's, uh, it's hard to put the whole package together the <laughs> report just, says zero <laughs> <laughs> if you select uh every trade at 50 percent zero you could almost go down to 30 percent i bet not get more than a handful <sighs> man i know you do something <laughs> <laughs> but you know caleb i think kind of back to your you know one thing i we had on the list here we didn't talk about nsip has a ram buyer's guide and khsi um last fall came out with a an nsip guide and both of those are really good documents for, for commercial sure. or seed stock producers um the the nsip ram buyers guide particularly has basically worksheets that you put down what your goals are and, and it kind of talks you through that you know okay i know i'm weak on um, maternal traits well let's prioritize that um and so it kind of helps you walk through the the process of thinking that through and ranking animals that you're looking at the um, the KHSI publication features three different producers 
and they talk about how they're selecting in their operations and they're totally different operations. So whether yeah. you're an existing producer or you're someone just thinking about getting into sheep, um, you know, so, so here, if you're a seed stock producer, if you're an NSIP and someone comes to you saying, I'm thinking about getting into sheep, what do you think? Hand them both of those publications or give them the links because they're on the, you know, they're on the internet. You can download the PDF and let them read through it. So they understand that I don't have, you know, I can select the animals that I want based upon what I want to do. And I, I just think that's so important. I don't think we probably talk about that enough. Uh, 30% steel zero goose eggs. Wow. I'm not going any lower. I think that shows Robert. I mean, no one's put together a ram or a you. Nope. No perfect, perfect animal. There's no perfect animal. No. Yep. It's all compromises. So, so uh, you're, a lot of people send me a message say, hey, you got it. You got any rounds for sale? And that's the first thing I ask them. What are you looking for? Because I don't, I want to sell them something that works versus an animal, you know, because the worst thing you could do is have to deal with somebody that bought something that didn't work and then tarnish your reputation or you spend all of your time trying to explain to them, well, you didn't say you wanted this, you know, you just said you wanted. So, so I probably asked too many questions when somebody asked, do you have a ram for sale? Cause I want to make sure that I'm comfortable that I'm selling them the right animal. And I'm mm -hmm. sure I lose a lot of sales because I don't just say, yeah, I got a spotty one over here. He's really cool. He's got this cool <laughs> spot on his neck. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't do that. You know, um, I want to know, you know, what you're looking for. And, and a lot of times they don't know what they're looking for. You know, okay. they don't know what traits they need or, or even what some traits are that some people don't even know that, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. One thing I've started doing is even before I ask like what they're looking for, sometimes I'll even just ask, you know, what's your system look like and, you know, what are you feeding and that sort of thing? Because, you know, sometimes people go, well, you know, I, I really want growth and, and maybe their system can't handle growth. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, well, I mean, Robert knows this from being on a KHSI board, but it's amazing. Well, okay. I'm a first time shepherd. I mean, okay farmer we're german we raised hogs okay <laughs> we didn't we didn't know it. i mean this is this farm has been in the family now for 120 years and this is the first time we've ever had sheep on this farm and, yeah and so you know um i'm a first-time shepherd although i've had a lot of livestock experience but khsi has so many first-time farmers you know you know, maybe grandpa had a farm or great grandpa had a farm, but um, they have no livestock experience. And we have to do so much education just on basic biology sometimes. But um, we're a 4-H club to a lot of people. 
We are. And but, you know, genetic selection is one of the things that we have to focus on education as well. Which is oh, man. Oh, man, this this is probably off t- topic, but I, I was a I was a panel discussion guy at a something we did back in February here. And it's a multi county deal. They probably won't ask me to be on the panel again. <laughs> uh, so they, it's a sheep and goat deal. And, and the crowd was probably, it was probably three quarter sheep, quarter goat, uh, but there was probably 200 people there. And, uh, and, but the 4 H people were all goat guys, of course. And they pulled up uh, back to this heritability thing. They don't even discuss that whatsoever. They put up three does. And they wanted everybody to, you know, get out a piece of paper and pick which of these does you would want as a replacement. Doe number one uh, raised twins. She didn't need any feed whatsoever uh, throughout the year. Her, her, both of her babies uh, grew very well and were always high sellers, you know. Uh, but you had to worm her uh, every two months, you know, year round. Doe number two. Uh, you had to worm her, you know, two or three times a year. Uh, she always had uh, one or two, never, it wasn't consistent. And, and you had to feed her a half a pound of corn a day, year round, to maintain her. And then doe three, uh, one or two, you would never keep her, her kids as replacements. And, but she, she, uh, she never needed worming but she needed a pound of corn a day for maintenance. A, I'm on A, wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, but can I breed parasite resistance into her with heritability? No, sir. No, no. She is parasites. Worming is a problem. I mean, man, they shame me in front of 200 something people. And I'm like, y'all need to do some homework. Well, (laughs) just the math is... (laughs) Right. The corn's more expensive than the worming. Why, yeah. why would you want to, <laughs> you know, it, it drove me nuts. And, but I guess my argument or my complaint to these people is they're not, they keep teaching the same stuff yeah. to the same people. And we're, that's why there's no, there's nothing changing in the system. Yeah. You know, uh, everybody just does what they're told, like, you know. So I probably won't be asked back next year. <laughs> I picked the wrong. Sheep deal. industry seems like sheep industry has been one of the slower industries to adapt um, to technology. It seems like in among agriculture. Well, the goats are ten years behind us. Let me tell yeah. you. Yeah. So yeah, that was tough. That was brutal. Well, everyone, thank you so much for listening to today's uh, podcast episode with Lynn Farmire. Hope you really enjoyed it. We've gotten a lot of questions from people about NSIP. It's a topic that brings up a lot of different questions with uh, just so many different tools to use and so many different ways to use it and just questions of who should use it and who shouldn't. And so hopefully we address some of those today. If you have more questions, don't hesitate to reach out uh, podcast at sheepthings.com. And we're happy to answer those questions as we can, whether that's on a podcast over email or even having other guests on to help answer those questions. Um, If you have more questions, continue to stay tuned also for the next two episodes with Lynn 
Uh, we're super excited for the rest of the content that we have to share. I think you're going to learn a lot and it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, this was a great conversation and a long one, and it was definitely worth every minute of it. So stay tuned uh, for the next podcast with Lynn Farmeyer. Thanks for listening to the Sheep Things podcast. Stay connected to our website and Facebook page or sign up to follow us on a podcast service to get updates. We want your feedback so you can email us at podcast at sheepthings.com for suggestions or comments. Thank you and see you later.